Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Mark Ebert, Senior Vice President of Sales at Sixth Sense for the second time. And Sixth Sense, again, is a revenue AI that reimagines the way teams create, manage, and convert pipeline into revenue. In the last episode, we talked more about moving down market from enterprise into SMB, as well as some tips and tricks around sales development. Today, we're going to be talking, at least at the beginning, about what it's like to make changes on the field in real time when you're facing economic uncertainty, which I think is a topic that should be relevant to everyone. Absolutely. I'm sure it's relevant for everyone. And man, are you lucky if in this economy, things got easier for you. (laughs) Yeah, I figured it's a good conversation because even with great growth at Sixth Sense, we've been, you know, we've been cranking. It doesn't mean we weren't impacted by what's been going on with the economy. And kind of the, the story I wanted to talk about was just how our sales management team pulled together and did some kind of soul searching on what what was really not working the way it needed to work that was within our control. And let's put everything else that's outside of our control, you know, global wars and interest rates into a, a box and not talk about that. And, and let's just talk about what we can control. And I'm sure everyone out there was dealing with a lot of the same things. We were measuring our stage-to-stage conversion rates. We saw late-stage conversion rates in particular declining, even after our quote-unquote vendor of choice stage. That used to be a shoe-in with a 95% you know, percent close rate after that. it was uh, We never had problems there. And that was going down pretty significantly, kind of getting stopped at the one-yard line with CFOs stepping in and you know questioning spend across the board. The other metric we were watching carefully was velocity, and we were grateful that our top of funnel pipeline wasn't going down. So we kind of said, all right, we don't really have an issue with our top of funnel demand creation. We really did have an issue with converting it through the middle and end of our funnel. So we kind of called a pretty, it was one day after the end of Q3, where we pulled everyone together for a two-day virtual meeting to brainstorm. And I said, we need three to five things that we can control and improve to reverse the trend that we're seeing here. And maybe I'll start with the one thing we agreed we weren't going to do, because this is a little contrary to what most people think you need to do. We had a choice. Do we increase the number of opportunities and pipeline that we have to put in the top of the funnel to change you know, with the new conversion rates, what we're going to output. Latney, our CMO, and, and I had a bit of a heart to heart about, are we actually going to make the problem worse by forcing more into the funnel? Is it just crappier pipeline that's going to further lower win rates? And now we're kind of spiraling down. It's a problem that has no bottom, you know? So we said, we're not going to focus on that. We knew that we probably needed to create more pipe, but that wasn't going to be like the thing that we preached to the company. And uh, the first thing that we that we noticed we had gotten away from was we have a stage in our sales process that what we call our, our win strategy meeting. And so as soon as we qualify in an opportunity, playbook says you meet with your solutions consultant, your manager and the rep, and there's a template and you run a call about, hey, based on you know, our differentiators based on the problems that we're tracking to what, what is our, what are the key things we're going to hang on to execute this evaluation and win. And we had gotten far away from our win strategy meetings. So although the problem crept up later in the funnel, 
we actually realized it was our problem was getting created at the beginning of the funnel because we were we had just gotten away from our rigor on something as simple as holding these win strategy meetings and making sure that we absolutely did not get into an evaluation without being fully aligned on how we were going to win. Even if it was a small commercial deal, we're still going to hold the meeting. So every manager kind of committed to not letting that happen. So all we did was threw up a new dashboard, showed every new stage two that was created every day. And then we, at the end of the week, we just made sure that every single one of those had the, had the win strategy call completed. And believe it or not, that instantly really started helping because half of those calls, they would end with, this really isn't a real opportunity. So we we weeded out a lot of the crap we were working, we were spending too much time on, and it allowed us to focus on the opportunities that really were going to had a chance to close. I'm curious, everyone starts out with the best of intentions and, and good processes. Why do you think you drifted off of something that was otherwise so effective? Yeah. Uh, Great question. And uh, through that soul searching period, I was wondering the same thing. Uh, and the truth was, is we were hitting numbers without it. And so there, then you get lazy. I, I have a, another hypothesis, right? Which is the people who've been around for a while, they're just like, I've done this a million times. I'm just going to say the exact same thing. But in that dynamic of three or four people, Solcon, manager, rep, someone's often new, right? Someone's new, new to the job. And it may not be the millionth time for them. So, and they're probably embarrassed to say, let's do this meeting. I'm also curious tactically, is that just the managers were committed and you know you went off to the races on that or, or tactically did you put into your CRM a checkbox or something that said, I, I sign off as having completed this meeting? Yeah, we do have a process in, in CRM to track it. That's right. Um, so... I do think you're right, by the way. I think that's very real. So we call it the battleground stage at Sixth Sense is not the evaluation stage. That's not where a war is won. The, the, the battle is not won in the evaluation. The conversation I had with the managers was, it's like, why would we ever go into an evaluation if we weren't you know, highly confident that we would win? It, there's no point in going into one if you feel like it's a 50-50 shot. And so instead go back, you know, stay in stage two and challenge the decision criteria over and over and over again until you like the way it looks and then go in and execute. And so we had to really get everyone bought in that stage two is where the deals are won. For us, that's the qualification stage before the evaluation starts. And they're won there. They're won and lost there. And that was the key pivotal point was everyone started understanding that. I love that you have this rigor on this particular process step because reps are always told to get rid of bad ops early, but I don't know any rep who gets rid of a bad op, you know, early because there's always hope and it's better to keep it in the pipeline unless otherwise forced to take out. So you've created a mechanism that says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really align on the decision criteria. What's the success criteria for the evaluation? And that is the thing that is the yardstick for whether you, you keep or exclude. All right, so you get people doing the meeting again. That was part one. And then there was there's a part two. Yeah, part two is just how we forecasted. Our forecast, you know, in Q2 and Q3 kind of felt like the floor kept falling out on us a lot. We we were so we we had it so dialed in for 16 quarters straight. We use Clary. We love Clary. Clary was always forecasting because we have a really tight sales process. Clary was always like dead on accurate on its AI for where we would finish. 
And we also got a little carried away with just trusting the AI, but the, you know, it doesn't account for plummeting win rates, right? Or like lengthening sales cycles. And so we knew that our forecasting plan needed to, you know, include a three-pronged approach. We've always had a three-pronged approach. It's Clary, managers, and reps. And we would triangulate our forecast around that. But the Clary piece of it, we love that platform. Like we, we just knew that we needed an extra set of eyes, not just looking top down, but we had gotten away from a bottoms up approach to forecasting. So we, that was the other hard conversation we had with ourselves was that we got a little overly fortunate that, you know, as long as we had the pipeline in there, we kind of knew where we were going to finish and we could execute and win. When we decided to implement like a way more rigorous bottoms up forecast, we had to do both. We had to prove top down that the pipe numbers were there and then we had to prove bottom up that we could fill it with deals. That's where the truth really started coming out of like, wait a second, we don't, we, we cannot get there with deals that we thought we did. To me, forecasts are a forcing mechanism as well, right? To ensure that there's incredible rigor on deal reviews on pipe gen and, and so forth. Well, those were two levers to pull. Was there was there a third or those were sufficient to get things back on track? Yeah, we remained you know full throttle on top of funnel. We kicked it into gear with our marketing team and we started doing all sorts of new. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll share one other strategy. We knew that the likelihood of an account buying was way higher if we had prior closed loss opportunities than if we had no prior closed loss. Our marketing analytics team came to the table with ideas by scrubbing down, looking at some really interesting data. And that they came, they said, hey, we actually have another idea where we can use some automation with our, our conversational email product and we can automate the outbound prospecting to prior closed loss opportunities to see if now's a better time because of we knew how high the win rates were. We had just launched conversational email as a capability in our platform. We turned that on in Q4 and it just started booking meetings kind of automatically for us and they close, they convert way, way higher. And so, you know, the whole, we called it the Awaken the Dead campaign and it worked wonders for us. Yeah. I, I think, you know, all veteran salespeople come to learn this thing. The way I discovered it, I was at a company and we saw that the win rates for account executives sourcing their own opportunities was much higher than SDR sourced opportunities. And I mean, there could be a lot of reasons for that, but we we double clicked on the data to figure out why why was that the case? And what we learned was, well, when ops get flipped over to the account executive, they now own the account more or less in, you know, indefinitely until the, the territories get reshuffled. And the root cause of that higher win rate for the existing AEs was simply that they had prospected and had a closed lost opportunity in the past. Like if you took out the prior closed lost, the win rate for AEs and for SDRs was identical. Yeah. So, hey, that also taught us a lesson. We needed to do a hell of a better job with our closed lost reasoning. Our RevOps team, I don't know, I think we ended up creating like 10 where we used to have four closed loss reasons. So when we flipped it to lost, we could now have a lot better reporting. So when we needed to go cut it later on and go run a campaign against it, you know, like you said, lost to no decision was by far and away our largest. And it just meant they weren't ready for some reason or another. We knew they'd come around eventually. Yeah. On closed lost reasons, I, I have always found on new opportunities, reps are actually quite good at 
picking that. I mean, we can quibble with some of the reasons sometimes. And then ditto on renewals that I think the CSMs are pretty, pretty outstanding at documenting why things were lost. There is this whole side industry of win-loss analysis, which seems so compelling and yet massively underutilized, right? Any thoughts? I mean, have you ever used a third-party service for that or contemplated it? Any any thoughts about doing that internally or externally or what incremental value it provides? I, I love that you asked that. I got an email today from our head of competitive intelligence who runs our win-loss program. And yes, we actually, every quarter, produce a win-loss report that he aggregates through interviews with both people that buy and don't buy. And then they crunch the data, but it is a, it's manually done, right? It's not a survey that's sent out that they click buttons. It's a conversation that they have. And then we record the conversation. They, you know, they, they opt in to have it recorded. And there is nothing more compelling than to show, we show the wholesale team every quarter, this is what they said on why they didn't buy. And when you see it and you hear it come out of their mouth, it's so much more powerful than, you know, maybe getting a survey result back that's just like, you know, a yes or no. And we love it. In fact, we are often floored by the results. We are so wrong so many times on why they chose not to buy and why they bought, frankly, you know, just on the other way around. We're about one year in on that program. And every quarter we can say what's changed and then go tell the field and the reps love it because they they see the clips of the of the customers and it might be painful to hear, but there's a hell of a lot to learn from them. A final question here. A lot of the listeners that we have are CEOs building out sales functions, even for the first time. You've been there for, you know, six years, nearly six years of the Sixth Sense journey growing from, you know, I would assume single or double digit ARR through, you know, triple digit uh, ARR. What advice do you have for somebody building out a sales function for the first time? Great question. I Some of the things that jump right to the front of my mind are even when you don't feel like you have the messaging, you might not have all of the right messaging, you know, the right first call, you might not have your differentiators figured out yet. Do the work of just putting in place a sales process to follow that allows you to experiment with changes and then track changes, but also it allows you to be consistent on understanding how much pipeline you need to build. So it's a little counterintuitive. It's like, well, why would we invest in sales process before we really have a scaled sales team? I would say do it upfront because at least you have consistency to look back and tweak what's working and what's not working. And you know where your problems are. The other one is find a really, really, really great RevOps partner. And yeah, I single-handedly, we, we could not have done it without, without our head of RevOps, Corey's, and he's phenomenal. And um, that partnership is, is pretty critical at the early days when we handed over the responsibility from our CFO, who was cutting our spreadsheets for me, to RevOps. And you know that role obviously is ballooning as it relates to a great career path, but that is something I would never do that again without grabbing you know, a really smart RevOps person to get started with, because it's so hard to do. You need really good data to get started. Uh, it took me pretty much most of my professional life to figure out that I love being a consigliere to CROs. And so I, I definitely ap- appreciate the appreciation of the uh, RevOps function. Well, one double-click question on the process piece. Sales process can mean so many things. People often think of it as stages with exit criteria and so forth. 
if you're in your early days and you're and you're trying to build out a sales process so that you don't boil the entire ocean, what are the one or two critical things that need to be in there to start to test and iterate on? When I say sales process, I do kind of refer to, yeah, the stages, the entry, the exit criteria. First of all, don't overdo it with number of stages. I think it's it's then it becomes hard to really understand where your problems are if you have too many stages. But the concept of, of agreeing to what is a qualified opportunity, just the basics of that and drawing that line and then saying everything post-qualified opportunity so that the real crux of the thing you want to answer is how many meetings do we need to have to get to a qualified opportunity? And then you can back out into your activity plan to go, to go hit. And then qualified opportunity to close one, right? And so if there's one thing you got to nail, it's being very strict on what you call a qualified opportunity, the criteria that it has to meet, and just be strict on it. It allows you to truly understand the number of meetings you need to book and then what you got to do with a, with a win rate to go close. All the stages in between there are less important than that one. At least that was what we found at, at Six Sense. Mark, thank you for joining me for not one, but two episodes to cover a whole gamut of, of topics. And thanks so much for drilling into ideas for how people can combat a uh, murky, choppy waters out there in, in the economy. So thanks again for being on. Yeah, you got it, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.